How many of you believe that where the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom? The ultimate goal and desire that the Holy Spirit has in our life is to constantly bring us into freedom, bring us into liberty, bring increase in your life. How many of you believe God wants his church to abound and to prosper as our soul prospers? Amen. And you know the scripture on these things. I uh, want to tell you something. Uh, I was telling John, I asked John to kind of pray for me. This is an interesting service. But, you know, this, I, I'm constantly usually in prayer and fasting. But yesterday I was in, in prayer the whole day in the service here or in the church building and just seeking the Lord. I never, never had such a struggle like this before. But uh, I, I don't have a problem getting a message. I, in fact, this may sound strange, but I actually have four different messages I could share you today. Now, don't, don't panic. I'm not going to share all four. But usually I get this in my spirit, a green light. You know what a green light means? It means go. But for some reason, I didn't get a green light. And you know, I, I want to be honest with you. I don't like that. You have all these things that you can share and say, and yet there's this hesitation. There's this, I, I feel that the Holy Spirit say, I want you to hold off. And actually, I was telling John that this morning, where the Lord impressed on me, said, hold off until you get up here. Well, how many of you know that just doesn't work so well in the flesh? You get up here and uh, you're saying, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? And uh, I want to tell you right now, he still hasn't given me the direction. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's amazing because, you know, like I said, I have no problem teaching. I have no problem. Pre I, it's no problem to draw. But, but I really feel the Holy Spirit wants to do something. John said it this morning, which kind of quickened my mind to go deeper. How many of you believe God wants us to go deeper, go farther, actually even go higher? And uh, I want to pray right now. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just open my heart and even your heart on these things because I believe that each, there's no such thing as wasted time. There's no such thing as a wasted moment. We're not to judge the moment because we don't understand it. Let me say that again. You're not to judge something you do not understand. In fact, God spoke to Israel in Deuteronomy 8. He says, when I brought you into the into the wilderness, he said, I suffered you to hunger to make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth. In other words, God brings us to a place where we don't know what to do so that we are completely dependent on him even though you may feel prepared, but yet he says, don't Use it. Now, I want to tell you right now, I am right there. And it's not comfortable. I don't like being here. I know I'm called to pass to the church, but I'm just saying that I didn't, I, I'm, you know, this is what I do. I, I, I'm going to bring something up that I learned out of Seven Pillars. It's called Binge and Purge. Binge is where, I, first of all, I love to study. 
I'm reading three books, four books at a time, all the time. I'm reading, reading, reading. I'm a, I, I love to read. I love to study. It's just natural for me. But sometimes when I come up and I get to speak and the Holy Spirit will put such a sense of urgency and say, don't use that word. And I'm saying, Lord, I was studying and I thought you directed the steps of a righteous man. He said, don't throw your message away, but it's not for today. Well, Lord, why in the world did you have me study all week? And this is what the Lord said. Ray, you love your predictable life. You love to be able to forecast and predict what you want to do. And I said, yeah. I like the predictable life. I'm a planner. I like to plan. I love to organize. I love to say, okay, tomorrow, A, B, C. I love that. Well, then God comes in and just screws the whole thing up. Says, no, keep your ABCs, but not for today. So I said, you know, Lord, what you're doing is going to make a total fool out of me. Yeah. And then the Holy Spirit says, who did I choose? What do I choose? What am I looking for? The weak. The things that are foolish, 1 Corinthians that which is despised, so no flesh will glory in my presence. I've chosen the weak things to confound the wisdom of the world. I've chosen that which is foolish. And I said, you know, Lord, it's not easy to look foolish. It's not easy to look stupid. It's not easy to look unprepared. And then as I'm standing here, the Lord began to unravel something. In fact, I want to read a scripture. I didn't study this, but I want to read it out of Matthew 11, verse 25. It says this. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden, everyone say hidden. You've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. God hides things. But I want you to know he hides them so you'll value them. Nothing that is revealed will never be valued or appreciated until you discover that it's hidden. And you come to... How many of you ever discovered that things that are hidden become more valuable when you find it? I'll never forget a story that I read on the internet about a husband and wife who were buying homes. They were buying some really low-end homes for the purpose of uh, restoring those homes, putting them back on the market. They were flipping, but they were also renting and buying. And a realtor called them up one day and said, uh, hey, uh, I got a house for sale. In fact, this story is on the internet. You could look it up. You, You need to... Well, let me, I won't tell it, tell it yet until I end the story. But this man and his wife gets called by a realtor that's a, a woman that knows this couple who loves to buy and sell. And so she says, I got a house for sale. 
It's in Alabama, and it's a house that is on the market for $10,500. And so they knew, well, this is really a fixer-upper to sell a house that low. But they bought homes like that. And so they went to see the house, and as they drove up to the lot, they could tell the house was literally structurally impaired and falling apart, and they were both very negative, and they just didn't think that it was really worth their time going in. But they went ahead, the realtor said, take a look, see if you feel that after you invested money into it, you can really purchase it if you want to. And they're looking around, the house is shambles. It's got, evidently had squatters living in it, people were living in the house, things all over the walls, broken doors, everything. Finally, the gentleman decides to go up into the attic because he's the kind of guy that looks at everything, and he wanted to see how the house was wired, looked up in the attic. As he gets up there by himself off a ladder, the realtor, his wife, stays down below. They're continuing to look. He looks up in the attic. He shines a flashlight down at the end of the attic is two boxes. And so he crawls through the cobwebs, the insulation. He's really getting filthy. He's not prepared for this. But he wants to see what's in the boxes. Huh? How many have ever been curious that you would do something like this? Well, he gets to the place, and what he notices is a bunch of old National Geographic books, some magazines. He's throwing stuff out. But on the very bottom of the first box, in a plastic cover, he notices a 1938 first edition Superman magazine, comic. First edition, 1938. Now, this man knew comic books. He knew what to look for. And when he saw that, everything in his attitude like that changed. He didn't know that amongst the trashy-looking house and the cobwebs and the mess and the insulation that he got covered, he finds this treasure, he puts it back in the boxes, and he hustles downstairs. He finds his wife and says, we're buying this house right now. She said, what in the world happened in the attic? We're buying the house. It's, it's, a, it's a good house. How many of you have ever met somebody like that? You're looking at something, all of a sudden there's a shift in their app. This is a good, this is worth the house. Do you know why the man thought that it was valuable? Because he saw something hidden. And he knew what to look for. He knew the treasure. He knew something was in it. So his wife is confused and she says, what happened to you? It's nothing, it's nothing. What he's trying to do is not let let the news out to the realtor. He just, just a bunch of old crazy magazines, books up there, just cobwebs, you know, the insulation, the electric finds them, needs some repair, but, but this, we want this house. And his wife is actually getting upset. What's going on here? You know, you were talking about the thing's not worth it. It's a poor investment. We're going to not get a good return. Says, just get in the car. Let's go. So they're in the car. And she says, okay, you better level with me. What did you find up in the attic? Okay, honey, I'm going to tell you something. that I, I don't know if you understand the value of this, but I found a comic book. And she said, you what? You what? I, I, I found a 
1938 first edition Superman, and it's still in the plastic cover. This thing could be worth big money. And she, of course, comes unglued. She says, what? We're buying a house because you found a comic book? Yeah, it's there. I, I know the worth. I know the, I know the value of this. She said, it better be valuable or it's your hide. No, she was ticked off. She was not. She, how many of you know sometimes when you f- discover something, maybe people that you thought would be on your side may not necessarily be on your side? Well, they go ahead. He goes home and he pulls the check back, back, book out and he sends 10,005 10, to the realtor. He seals the deal. It's his house now. So he goes back, gets up in the attic, pulls the books down, and it was only one single comic book. He took it to a dealer that he knew. The man, now listen to this. He took it to a dealer in town. The man offered him $35,000 on the spot. He said, no deal. He ended up going to Los Angeles in that same comic book auctioned off for over $125,000. What he found in an attic. Now here's my point. There's a treasure in you. And God wants us to stop looking at the cobwebs and all the outside and all the things that are falling apart. He's saying there's a treasure inside of you. The Bible says we have a treasure in, everyone say in, earthen vessels that the power of God and the excellency of his power may be of him and not of us. But you see, I've got to stop looking at what I'm not seeing or what I am seeing and I need to start looking for the things that are hidden. Turn to your neighbor and say there's hidden treasure in you. There's life in you. There's beauty in you. But you know what? You'll never, you'll never, you'll never recognize the treasure until you start looking for what's hidden. Now notice what Jesus says here in this passage. Lord, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and reveal them to babies. You know what a baby is? We look at a baby and we, of course, we we laugh at him and we kind of cuckoo over babies. And When we're looking at a baby, we kind of laugh at him sometimes. You know, as we grow older, one thing I've learned with adults, as we grow older, we kind of, put on a front. We, I heard this one woman one time, she was struggling in her own personal life and she would never come and ask for help because when she was a girl, she had a father who said, if you ever have to ask for help, you're stupid because stupid people never ask for help because if you ask for help, you're only showing how stupid and how dumb you are. I want to say that that was wrong advice for that daughter. How many of you know that when you don't know something, it's wise to ask for help? Do you know that this generation, 
among millennials. This is what I read from Barna. The 20 and the 30-year-olds today, this is not a knock against them, but they would rather go online on the Internet and ask for help or seek help rather than going to their parents because they think that their knowledge is outdated. So I don't know how to go for help because I'm afraid that if I'm asking for help, I'm stupid. The Bible says... The, the, do you know what the scripture is? It's the key to unlocking mystery. The things that are hidden is becoming like a baby. Now, when Jesus says, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. What's a wise man? A wise man, if you go into the book of, uh, I believe it's in Luke 13, where Jesus was saying that you search the scriptures And in them you think you have eternal life, but these are that which testify of me. And you are not willing to come to me. Now what Jesus is really saying is that people who try to function in their life by only using their mind and not their heart, they're not finding Jesus. In other words, the Bible says, in them you think you have eternal life. He's talking to scholars and doctors, Pharisees, scholars of the law. And he says, you know the scriptures, but you have not come to me. You haven't come to me to really know me, but you know the Bible. Oh, you know so much because you pride yourself on what you think you know and what you think you've done, but you don't know me. You don't know me. You know, I I really thought by growing up in a Christian home years ago when I was a teenager that I knew the Lord. But what I really knew was I knew the testimony of other people who knew the Lord, but it wasn't my testimony. I knew God on the basis of what Brother Pastor Iverson knew, what the elders knew, but I didn't know God for myself. I was deceived by being raised in the church in a so-called Christian family based on the testimonies of what other people said about Jesus. But I come to realize I was not following Jesus. I was following what I thought. I, you know what I was doing? I was following the crowd, but I didn't know him. Now, I want to say that that was a revelation for me As a teenager, I didn't know the Lord. And here's what Jesus is saying right here in this passage. He says, the hidden things are revealed to babies. What is a a baby like? What's he really saying here? When you look at a baby who's completely, completely dependent, completely in a place where it's, so vulnerable, so dependent, where everything that they do is almost a mess. How many of you know that God loves messy people? Let me repeat that. Jesus loves messy people. Let me say it again to this crowd. Jesus loves messy, messy people. 
There was a young man in our church, a good friend of mine with Carol. And I remember Gordon, Carol. Remember Gordon? Gordon was a teenager when we were teenagers in our church. And Gordon would come to church because his parents made him. We all know how that goes. And he was coming to church, and this is what he would do. He would sit in the front row like this. But he didn't come to worship, and he didn't come because he wanted to be there. But what he would do is while the worship leader was leading worship and they would have this time, he would turn around and stare at you. And he would do this. Literally. He'd turn around and stare at you. And when people would be rejoicing, they'd be clapping and worship the Lord, he'd go. He'd shake his head like that. It was really kind of nerve-wracking. I, I, I literally thought it was demonic, but he would just look at you. He'd turn around and look at people and just say, and he wouldn't say anything. He'd just shake his head. And it was weird because everybody was really in the flow of the worship and the presence of God. And, and Gordon would bring, actually I remember him one time bringing a friend and both of them got into the stair treatment. They'd just come out and they'd just, you know, everybody be worshiping, looking at the worship leader, but he'd just look at you. Shake his head like, you guys are from a different planet. You are so crazy. And what he, he, he wasn't disrupting the service enough that it needed an usher. He wasn't antagonizing that way, but he would just stare at you to mock you. And you know what he began to do to some people? Like for me, I'll say it to me. I begin to resent that guy. I begin to say, I rebuked the devil in that man. I, oh, I was, I was angry at this guy. And, I, you know, I, when, when Gordon would come to the church service, you know, I noticed that people would sit where he wasn't. I mean, he would create a vacuum where if, you, if he was here, people would just kind of move a few seats over because they, they, they didn't, he, he had this charisma also. Gordon had a lot of charisma, but on the negative side of it. But he would just look at it and stare at you, just, just stare at you, you know. And it was intimidating. But anyway, one day, several months goes by, and a rumor goes to the church. A rumor. And the rumor was this, is that Gordon got saved. And when I heard the rumor, and we had a church of about 1,500, 2,000 at the time, I didn't believe it. Because I really thought there was no hope for that guy. He's worse than a mess. He's a nightmare. I mean, it, it just, he just had this arrogance about him. But when he got saved, and I heard the story that pastor, we used to have pre-service prayer and post-service prayer. We used to have Sunday night post-service prayer. After the services, we'd go in the prayer room and we'd have prayer after services. This is the time he got saved. And I remember... I wasn't at that prayer meeting myself, but the very next week, I couldn't believe what I saw. Gordon was down in the front. Both hands were raised to the Lord and tears streaming down his face. He wasn't staring at anybody. But the thing that moved us the most, and Carol remembers, the one thing that stuck out the most, wasn't it his smile, his joy? He was a miserable guy on drugs doing... By the way, he would come to church high and he'd be staring at people. 
But now he was on a new high. Amen. He was on a Jesus. He turned out to be one of the most powerful evangelists in the church. God took this. And here's the other thing. He skyrocketed in his relationship and knowledge simply because he was a spiritual babe. Not that he, he, he loved the Bible. He devoured the word. He loved every time the doors of the church was open, he was there. But it wasn't just that. There was some, there was a spirit about the guy that was magnetic. He used to push people away. Now he's drawing people. But there was something about just, he would constantly come up to people and say, you know, Jesus is so magnificent. Jesus is so real. He had this smile that was so magnetic, but there was some, there was a simplicity. And then Pastor Iverson asked him to speak one day and he just got up and he just began to share on how God's love not only drew him, but it transformed. It says it changed my mind. And the Lord began to help him realize that the mess that he was and the mess that he had made was because God was going to use his testimony to transform other messy people. How many of you know God doesn't give up on the mess? Doesn't give up on messy people. And when Jesus here says this, that he says, I've come to reveal to babes. Let me just say a couple things. Babies let their parents carry them. Will you let Jesus carry you? You know, sometimes when I'm in a counseling session, I'll have people say this, Pastor, just, just, just tell me what I need to do. I need to do something. I need a plan of action. You know what the Lord's been speaking to me about telling people? Tell them to do nothing. Let Jesus carry you. I need need a plan. What's the plan? Let him carry you. See, that's an offense to the mind. I want some battle plan so I can show Jesus that I can do the plan and get a reward for what I think, how I figured it out, and I followed the letter of the law. But you know what that is? That's going back under condemnation, under the law, and you're trying to do it in your own strength. Babies literally just fall in the lap of their mother and their father and they just drink. Everyone say drink. You've got to stop trying to carry yourself. You've got to let your heavenly father carry you. The second thing about a baby is that it's okay not to talk right and think right. Do you know babies just don't talk, right? All they do is, you know, actually parents do that probably more than they do. (laughs) But babies cannot talk right. They don't think right. And that's what the father loves. Oh, Pastor Ray, you are just swinging the door right open right now just for all of us to just be weird and cranky and kooky, just spiritual. But no, 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 it's a season. How many of you, being a baby is a season. God never intends for you to be in diapers all your life. 
But the diaper stage is important. Now we think, well, man of God, I can't wait till that kid gets out of diapers. I can't wait till they start going to the bathroom on their own. I can't wait till they dress their own. I can't wait till they feed themselves. We, we really are missing the point of what our Heavenly Father is trying to show us. Your Heavenly Father loves the fact that He wants to carry you. Martha wanted to impress Jesus. Jesus comes to Mary and Martha's house. The Bible says that Martha was troubled about many things. She's troubled. She's upset. And then she gives Jesus a command. Tell that lazy sister of mine to get in here and start helping me with the housework and the meal. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, just troubled about you trying to fix it. How many here have ever been the kind of a fix-it person? I'm going to fix the mess. I'm going to fix people. I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to get a plan together. Well, what Jesus said about Mary, he says, Mary has chosen the better part. Now, you know what the better part was? Is that Mary was letting Jesus serve her instead of Martha trying to serve Jesus. You know, sometimes it's difficult for us to just put things in God's hands. I got to just really, and here's the thing. It's not just putting the mess in God's hands, but it's also knowing that he loves me in spite of the mess. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, what are we supposed to do then? Rest. You got to enter into rest. Notice what Jesus goes on here to say. He said this, even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight. What's good? What's the good thing? It's good that you become like a baby. You know what babies have to do? Babies have to learn to just move their arms. They have to learn to crawl. They have to learn to walk and they're going to fall down. I, I remember seeing our sons when they were learning to walk, when our grandchildren we loved to see anything they did. I mean, I got pictures on my phone of my babies doing everything. I joy in the fact. Now, right now, I have one granddaughter, Evelyn. She will not let me hug her. I can get close to all my grandkids, but Evelyn, she runs from me. But the other day at Maria and Aaron's house, I had my cell phone up and I was taking a picture of Evelyn, but grandpa was deceived because she wanted my phone. She did, so she was coming towards me like this and she reaches out from my phone. I'm thinking, I was, she was coming to give me a hug, but it wasn't me she was after. She wanted my phone. You know, right there, the Holy Spirit spoke to me that our heavenly father is waiting for you to run to him. Even if you're messy. And I know this may, sound, may not sound like a big, heavy message. I, I just feel like, you know, when John said that God wants to give us hidden things and the Lord deep things, in order for us to grow deeper, we have to become spiritual babies. We have to learn to trust him. We have to learn to just walk with him and believe him even when we don't see life so predictable. You may think, well, Pastor Ray, you're just kind of winging the message today, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I'm winging it. 
I don't like preaching like this. Be honest with you. But the Holy Spirit put such a restraint on me. He says, open your mouth and I will fill it. I mean, that's, that's the way. Do you know a lot of prayer goes into these meetings? I don't take these meetings lightly. We spend hours and hours on our knees before every service. That is the calling of a senior pastor in apostolic authority. We don't just come here and wing it. We wait on God. But there's times where the Lord said, you're going to come to the Red Sea and I'll tell you what to do. Lord, I need to know how to cross. Are we going to build a bridge? Are we going to take ferries across? No, you're going to take your rod and you're going to smack the water. Thank you, Lord, for that kind of wisdom. I don't want to smack the water. By the way, when Moses took the rod, it doesn't mean he hit it once. It means he kept smacking it. Bang. And I'm sure that people were on the beach saying, Moses, what in the hell are you doing? Well, I'm hitting the water. Why are you hitting? Well, God's going to open the sea. Well, this pastor has lost his marbles. He's gone over the edge. Sometimes God brings you to a Red Sea and he says, just smack the water. And you say, you know what? Pastor's gone loony. Do you know what God loves? He loves, just to, he loves to put you in a place where you have to depend on him so he can open and part the sea. But if you're a man, now I'm a type A personality. I love to know what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I'm going to say. That's my nature. But God says there's times where I'm going to pull your crutches out. You know what my crutch is? This. The pulpit. And the Lord says, I don't want you to hide behind your pulpit. I want you to trust me. Now I have some words here. I want to just say this to all of us. I believe God wants us, you know what babies do best? They love to eat. And they love to poop. There's a lot of that going on. And I want you to get I want you to get ready for a lot of poop. By the way, Bill Johnson has an amazing DVD message called um, He's Got a Cow with its rear end and says, Get ready for the poop. That's the title of his message. That's not my message. But what he's talking about is when you begin to see a harvest come, there's going to be a lot of poop, there's going to be a lot of mess, and there's going to be a lot of people that are weird. I'll never forget, I said this in my early class this morning. There was a woman that came to our church several years ago, and I didn't know it was happening until one of our ushers told me this. But there's a woman that came out and sat in the parking lot 14 weeks, but she wouldn't come into the church. She would sit there, see people come in, but then she left. She did that for 14 Sundays. Finally, one of the ushers went out and said, why don't you just come in? But she was so afraid. And so she left. The usher finally told him, we got a woman that comes and sits for a little bit, and then she leaves. He thought that maybe she was scouting out the parking lot to rob her, steal something, but she wasn't. She was just coming to church. She finally On the 15th Sunday, this was her words to me, she'd gone through the double doors 
And one of our door greeters made her feel so comfortable, she just was overwhelmed with the joy because of the love that someone accepted. When she finally got in, she came down in that service to meet me. And I said, it's so glad to see you. But she was literally shaking. Now, I'm not kidding. I thought she was on a drug, like Xanax or something. Sometimes people on Xanax, they're just shaking. Because she was shaking, literally quivering. And I said, you know what? I believe God just wants to bring some peace and rest into you. She just broke down. She says, first thing out of her mouth, is my dress and my attire acceptable? I said, well, you're clothed, and that's fine. That's all. But the first thing that was her concern was, is my attire accepted? Uh, That was mind-blowing to me. And I said, where have you been? Well, I've been asked to leave because I wear pants. And I said, it's okay to wear pants. You know, obviously, we want your body covered, but it's, that's not the focus here. The focus is you. Your Heavenly Father loves you. And I said, we love you. We care about you. And so we just, Carol and I sat two times with her, just heard her testimony. And her testimony was amazing of all the shame, pain, the disappointment, the broken heart. And we just said, you know, you have a Father in heaven that loves you. It's time to fresh and to break in and just help her grow at that time. And she began to bring some friends into the church after that. The thing is, our church was so amazing. You guys reached out, you blessed, you welcomed her and blessed her. So many of you did. That's what the church is. But Jesus says, in order for us to have wisdom, discover the hidden things, we have to become as babes. We need to let him carry us. Number two, we need to allow him to pick us up when we fall down. Don't just stay down. How many of you have ever seen a baby fall down? Don't you as a parent just come and pick them up? Do you know your Heavenly Father loves to pick you up? He doesn't kick you when you're down. He wants to pick you up. The last thing is this. <clears throat> he wants to feed you. He doesn't want you anemic. He doesn't want you starving. He wants to feed you. I want to read one last scripture found in Ezekiel 34. Just turn with me, would you, for a minute. Ezekiel 34. I want you to read this scripture. Listen to what God says. This is a prophetic word to the shepherds of Israel. Listen to what God says. Son of man, verse Ezekiel 34, verse 2. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. This is a message for pastors. Listen to what he says. Prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Everyone say feed. The primary responsibility of a shepherd is to feed his people. That's what the Bible says. You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. You're not feeding them. The weak, you do not strengthen. 
You have not healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back those that were driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force. This is a false pastor here. With force and cruelty, you have ruled them. With force. That's what the Bible says about a shepherd. With force. What do you mean, with force? In other words, you use the Bible as a baseball bat. You rule them with cruel, you're cruel and you're mean. He says, and they're scattered because there is no shepherd. I can't tell you how many times I run into people that have never been fed, never been cared for, do not know what it is to be under a healthy shepherd. They're scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through the mountains on every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. No one. Therefore, you shepherds, you hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord, surely because my flock has become a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and they did not feed my people. You know what a father does? He cares for his kids. What does it mean to feed? That means you talk to them. You bring them the word of God. You bring life to them. You help them understand that who their heavenly father is. You've got to talk to them and feed them. And you love them. Verse 9, therefore shepherds hear the word, thus saith the Lord, behold, I'm against the shepherds and I will require my flock at your hand and, and, because, and I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed them no more for I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. In other words, sometimes there's pastors that look at people like dollar signs. You're just a dollar sign for me. That's a wrong shepherd. A healthy shepherd doesn't matter if you're tithing or not. We still love you. We're still reaching out to you. Now, I'm reaching out to the people that want me to reach out to them. Not everybody wants Pastor Ray in their life, and I will, I will not press it. When people say, get out, I won't harass you. I promise you. I will not harass people that do not want me in their life. But I will go for the ones that are lost. Paul says I won't even go for them. Jesus didn't go for the ones that didn't want them. Jesus went to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Paul finally got the message one day in Macedonia. He says, you know what? Now God's called me to the Gentiles. Because he realized the Jews, the, the, the door of the Jews had closed the door. There comes a point where you reach out and you reach out and you reach out. It's all you can do is reach out. But when people say to stay out, then you need to, you need to respect them. But here notice what Jesus says or the Lord says here. Thus saith the Lord, God... Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. This is the Lord. When the shepherds fail to do it, God says, I'm going to seek my own people. As a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day, he is among his scattered sheep. So I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places. Everyone say all the places. What are the places he's talking about? 
place of bondage, the places of darkness, the place of loneliness, the place of destitution, the place of addiction, the place of isolation and fear. God says, I'm going to seek and I'm going to search out my sheep where they were scattered on the cloudy and dark day. It's a cloudy and dark day. God says, I'm coming to you in your day of trouble and I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and their foals shall be on high mountains of Israel and they shall lie down in, good, in a good fold and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and make them lie down. Everyone say lie down. That means God's going to help you come to a place where you're no longer fighting this battle in your own strength, but I'm going to bring rest. Maybe God wants to bring rest in your life. No longer wants you to struggle. He no longer wants you to hide. He wants to bring rest to you. You know, sometimes I run into people that have been beaten down. Life beats you down. Maybe they're alone. They're scattered. They're in a mess. They're in a mess they can't even get out of. Jesus does not give up on you. In the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus talks about to shepherds. He says there was 99, but he left the 99 and went after the one. Jesus was talking to shepherds because many of them were illiterate in that day. They couldn't read, but they could understand pictures. So when Jesus was talking to these businessmen, he said, I will leave the 99 and go for the one. See, a good businessman would cut his losses and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to leave the 99 and allow 20 or 30 more to get lost. I'll just cut the losses. A good businessman would say, I lost that one, but I still got the 99. But Jesus illustrates the point of him leaving the 99 because the one was worth it. Everyone, everyone, even though he's lost in a mess, he's still worth it. Look to your neighbor and say, you're worth it. You're worth it. I want you to know right now, can you just bow your heads? I'm done. You know, as a pastor, I fear and tremble standing here. I really do. The Bible says the greater damnation, the greater judgment falls on senior pastors, elders. Jesus requires us to love his people like he loves his own people. Jesus laid down his life for his people. We are to lay down our lives for one another. Jesus searched and he sought out those that were lost and scattered. There's so many people today that have no direction. They're lost in their mess. They're broken. Many of them are even afraid to ask for help because they're afraid of looking stupid. They think by asking questions or asking for help that it shows or gives the appearance of weakness. And that's really where God is saying that when you become a baby, that's the first step in getting help, getting healed. 
Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't allow the lie of the enemy to think you've got to try to fix your life. You've got to learn to trust. Just rest on the breast of your Heavenly Father. Lord wants us to just wait on Him. Stop trying to fix your mess. Just let Him carry you. You may say, Pastor, I need something more than that. Sometimes it just means spending time in His presence. It means stopping the chatter that's in your head. Don't be afraid of silence. Don't be afraid of being quiet before the Lord. You don't have to do all the talking. Just rest in His presence. said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Maybe this morning while our heads are bowed, you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, I'm like a man or a woman that's been scattered. I need a fresh direction in my life. I need to be fed. I need the Lord to just feed me with his faithfulness and his goodness. I need to come home to what I was created for. And that is for his glory, his power, his presence to fill my life. What a reason to smile again. I've lost my smile. I've lost my dream. That's you. Raise your hand. I want to just pray for you. Any of you? I see your hand. Anyone else? Just need the Lord to restore my joy. I've lost that. Can we stand to our feet this morning? Father, I just, right now, I thank you, Lord, that you're a good shepherd. Like David said, the Lord is my, my shepherd. I shall not want. That means he satisfies. He meets us at the point of our deepest need. I'm going to just have a word here for Jimmy. You just let me take your hand. Jimmy, I have one word for you, and it's this. The nightmare is over. I just see the Lord bringing you out of a dark and cloudy season, bringing you into a place where healing is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You begin to reach your faith you begin to just see the Lord as a God who loves you, as a father loves his son. He celebrates you, even in our messes. I was addicted, Jimmy. I had issues. The Lord healed me. If he can heal me, he can heal you. He comes to honor you, comes to crown you with loving kindness. I even see the Lord touching your body, healing you. Since there's been something physical in your body, there's been a battle. I just rebuke the spirit of infirmity. Even right now, Lord, just bring healing into his, not just natural heart, but even physically, spiritually into his life. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Norma, you're a songbird. I do. Some of y'all might not know me. Um, For years, years and years, battle of addiction, prison, in and out. And for 14 months, I was locked in a box praying. You know, a lot of people say you go to jail, you find God. You know why? Because you have nothing else to do but speak to him. And for a person who fought battles with Satan for years, he speaks to me clearly, just like I speak to y'all right now. I was stressing, you know, I've got some time, some things to finish, but I've been having something heavy on my heart for months, months and months, actually years now. Um, Friday evening, I got a phone call from an attorney. said, we haven't been able to reach you, but God wants you to know that it's over. They're not coming after you no more. So, you know, I still got, I still got trials and tribulations, but there's prayer. Ray has been there through it all. You you know, some of y'all don't know me. My mom is Shirley. She's the nicest lady. She'll help anybody. But Ray's been there. You know, he's written letters, perfuming ones, but you know. Um, he, he's been there and you know I came back the last time and I wasn't right you know I, I didn't have my priorities in check this time God has made it clear there's nothing I can do at all it's all in him you know the, the old saying of you know the footprints in the sand you know where were you God I, I walked there's only one set of footprints he said are you not understanding that I carried you those times so, you know, he can carry anybody. And I'll, I'm speaking to everybody in here. I was as bad as you get. I mean, I don't know anybody that was as bad as me. I mean, it's harsh. It's a harsh reality. But it comes full circle. Yes. Right. I'm saved. And, you know, I'm happy to say I'm a blessed believer in Jesus Christ. And he can help anybody. Right. Amen. Amen. I was praying earlier, and, and I don't know why God put you on my heart earlier as well. And he said that he's restoring you, but he's not restoring you to what you were before. He's doing a new thing. It's built on better promises and a better covenant. There's God. Wow. Amen. Praise God. You know, William, the, the young lady next to you, I just have a word for her. Yes, I, I don't know your name, but I, I just want to say just a word to you. The Apostle Paul made it clear. He says, not that I have arrived or I've apprehended, but this one thing I do. Paul says, I'm going to forget those things which are behind. God's going to cause you to forget by reminding you and helping you see how great your future is. He's restoring the dream in your life. You're not broken anymore. The Bible says that he has, with his great mercy and rich in love, has seated you together with him in heavenly places. That's a place of healing. It's a place 
of acceptance. It's a place where you're justified in his sight. Amen. You're a tender young lady, a very sensitive individual. But I also sense that God has put some gifts on you that he wants to just remind you and let you know that he wants to use you to touch other people around you. People watching you, they're watching your decisions and your moves even right now. But I want you to know, he, he run to your Heavenly Father. Just trust in Him. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. God is good, isn't He? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pray and we'll release you. Father, we thank you for your great love today. We ask you to just continue to blow upon us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your greatness. Lord, we just know that the covenant is so real and so rich. And Lord, in that covenant, we are now kings and priests. We're special people. We're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Lord, a a peculiar treasure in your sight. Father, we thank you for your mercy. If it wasn't for your mercy, we would not be here today. Go with us in Jesus' name and help the Cowboys win. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Be blessed. If any of you like prayer, I'd love to pray with you down here if you like prayer.